Welcome to Human Dreaming, the podcast for curious dreamers. I'm your host, Britt Shefflin. Hello, dreamers. Today we have a slightly different episode for you. Um, I'm going to do another interpretation episode. So no guest today, just really breaking down dreams into their component parts and hopefully helping you to gain a greater understanding of how your dreams work and how you can utilize them. So today I'm going to be covering more predictive dreams. And these are the dreams that we tend to have more often in the middle of the night. So roughly around your second REM cycle. And again, this is just a guideline because everybody sleeps slightly differently and goes into different REM cycles at different times, partially due to how much you sleep. So an insomniac, for example, might go into REM a lot faster than somebody who sleeps really well in a solid eight hours every night. So I highly recommend using sleep trackers, such as the Fitbit. I, um, I love the Fitbit. It tracks my sleep really quite accurately, and it also has an oxygen monitor. So you can tell if you have, for example, high oxygen variability or high heart rate variability, and then you can compare that to what types of dreams you're having. It really gives you more of an insight whether your dreams are psychologically based or physiologically based or whether there might be something going on during sleep that is important to pay attention to. And it also really helps me track whether my predictive dreams are in fact happening in the middle of the night or whether they're happening in the morning It really helps me keep those categories straight and um, keep a more accurate record of all of that. So I was sent this very interesting article by my friend Michael today, and it is by LiveScience.com, and the title of the article is Sleep Technique Used by Salvador Dali Really Works. And the subtitle is Some of the World's Most Creative Minds, including Salvador Dali and Thomas Edison, described using this sleep technique to bolster creativity. The article was written by Yasemin Sapla Koglu. I won't read the whole article for you, but essentially it describes a technique where they get a creativity boost by holding something in your hand just as you're starting to fall asleep so that when you fall asleep, it falls and wakes you up. Scientists were curious about this, so they they started hooking up volunteers, and what they discovered is that, that that technique is valid. And what's happening is people are in a sleep stage called N1. It's an understudied sleep stage because it happens right at the beginning when you are in roughly a hypnagogic state. So you can maybe even hear things in the room around you and you still have a sense of yourself in the room, but you're also 
part we asleep. So it was kind of that in-between sleep and waking state. And what they did was they tested people's creativity. And what they found was that if people were awakened or dropped their object in the N1 state, that they suddenly became way more creative at solving these math problems. And they had two regular rules that everybody was aware of and one hidden rule. And essentially, everybody who was awakened in this N1 state had a boosted creativity such that they were able to find the, the hidden rule and utilize that. And it showed a very creative problem-solving workaround. So they did indeed get a creativity boost by using this technique. So anyhow, I recommend you check out that article. It's very interesting. I'm sure it will be posted in the Human Dreaming Facebook group, but you can also find it on livescience.com. And again, it's called Sleep Technique Used by Salvador Dali Really Works. And my goodness, what a creative person he was. So moving on to predictive dreaming. Again, the predictive dreaming stage as a guideline tends to happen more frequently in the middle of the night. Now, our early morning dreams, which are the ones that are most commonly recalled, are in the last two or three hours or roughly the last REM sleep stage that you have before waking. And those are the ones that are most commonly remembered because it happens right before you wake up. And as you probably know, if you do anything with your dreams, it's really hard to recall them if you go back to sleep unless you write them down or unless they're profoundly affecting. But we have some really interesting predictive dreams to go over by a listener by the name of Myrita. So thank you so much for sending those dreams in again. I really appreciate it. Let's see which one we'll do first. So this one, she titles her dreams um, in her dream journal, and you don't necessarily need to do that, but it is a really effective way, especially if you want to search back through your dreams to kind of have just a little nugget of information about that dream. This one is titled The House of Plenty, and she writes, My father is showing me the way to my new home. It's somewhere in France, but everything is flooded and the terrain is unrecognizable. We pass two castles. One stands half submerged in the sea, the other on a wide street that is flooded now and looks like a river delta. I ask my father whether these are the king's castles. But he answers, a prison and a Japanese embassy. Then we make our way across the fields in a largely flooded and muddy rural location. I'm quietly thankful I'm wearing my mud stomper boots, thinking how much harder it'd be if I wore my usual long skirts and sandals. Then I'm in my new house. It's spacious, apparently old, rather dark and full of various objects, musical instruments, books, art, clothes, toys, homewares, furniture. Anything imaginable can be found there, but most things appear old 
and many are broken. An elderly couple live there with me, an apathetic older man and his wife, a prim and proper lady. It seems like I'm supposed to be the man's new wife, and the lady is stepping off from that duty. But we live together in a polite, almost harmony, as any arguments are put aside quickly and nobody demands anything from me. One day, I notice a maggot on the kitchen floor and wonder where it came from. As the one thing the house doesn't have are live animals. There's lots of taxidermy though. I point the maggot out to the lady, but she says she's never seen any of these indoors. Suddenly, there's another, then more and more, hundreds of them, while we still stand there trying to figure out what's going on. We leave the kitchen trying not to step on them, and the lady calls a doctor. The doctor arrives and opens our eyes to the fact that the old man has died while sitting in his favorite corner behind the kitchen table and is decomposing there basically turning into a pile of maggots. I feel like there's no purpose for staying anymore and decide to leave. The lady hands me a purple coat saying, a coat will be useful, but wrapped in the coat is a sleeping child, a girl about seven years of age. I have no memory of giving birth in the dream, but I know she's my daughter. Thoroughly confused. I carry the sleeping child around the house looking for an exit. The lady helps me in the search, although she doesn't have, she doesn't plan to leave. We look everywhere, but all doors are locked, elevators broken, and even the chimney is blocked. There are no windows, just panes of glass on the walls. Exhausted from the search, the lady gives a dramatic speech random objects appearing in her hands out of thin air, a book, silver candlestick, necklace studded with red gems, white ceramic vase, which shatters when she drops it, to prove that the house gives us everything we ask for, but we're stuck in here forever. Confused, I ask, is this hell? She says no, and then continues her speech. The worst thing is the endless line of people waiting outside to get in. I'm like, no way, you don't mean it's, and she interjects, affirmative, before I say, paradise. Her notes say that this was the second three-hour dream cycle of a nine-hour sleep. So again, middle of the night, indicating as a guideline, not a hard and fast rule, mind you, but as a guideline that generally our brains are processing predictive information in the middle of our sleep cycle like that. Um, so again, with that, that would be our first clue that it's probably a predictive dream, but of course we will go back through and check all of the other information to make sure that it's still pointing that way. She also notes that the dream is set in the future because the land was flooded and the terrain had changed. 
My own age in the dream is hard to guess, might be anywhere between my current age and approximately 12 years younger, judging by what I was wearing and the fact that I had no memory of having children in the dream. In the beginning, I felt a mixture of mild emotions, mostly curiosity, anticipation, and calm. But as the events unfolded, the curiosity intensified, accompanied by stronger emotions, astonishment, anxiety, extreme puzzlement, and somewhat of a life-changing eureka moment. When I woke up, I was tempted to sit in stunned silence, processing what, had just, what I had just experienced. But I wrote it all down immediately as every detail about this dream felt immensely significant upon waking. Okay, so again, remembering this is a middle of the night dream and she's having these very powerful emotions in a very um, eureka moment, uh, almost an epiphany. So when we break it down into categories and because there were other future elements, that still also helps us point toward predictive. The subtypes is interesting because she does mention that she's not sure how old she is or anything like that. Generally, when that happens, we say it's about your present self because Normally, as a rule of thumb, unless you're really convinced that you are a certain age or it's very obvious that you're younger or older, it's really you're generally processing something roughly around now. Um, but then again, there are, uh, along with the predictive, some future elements in the dream as well. So the subtypes being present and future elements. Um, is it a physiological or psychological dream? This was very much a psychological dream. And again, one of the ways that you can determine that is the intricate storyline. Physiological dreams just really don't generally tend to have psychological long storylines, especially not ones with a moral <laughs> at the end. The emotions were curiosity, anticipation, and calm, moving into intensified curiosity, plus astonishment, anxiety, extreme puzzlement and then ending in Eureka. So that's the emotional arc. And more so with releasing and reinforcing dreams, the emotional arc can really tell you what the dream is about, but they can also be really helpful in predictive dreams. So let's keep going and see if that comes back into play. The symbolic aspects were France, house, castles, older couple, maggots, doors and windows locked, blocked, book, candlestick, child, etc. Some keywords and phrases, showing me the way, unrecognizable, a prison and Japanese embassy, quietly thankful, anything imaginable, old, broken, apathetic, prim and proper, almost harmony, nobody demands anything from me, new wife, wonder where it came from, What's going on? Calls a doctor. Opens our eyes. Decided to leave. My daughter. Looking for an exit. Dramatic. Everything we ask for. Stuck here forever. Paradise. In my conclusion that I wrote back to her, I said, I love predictive dreams. So glad you were able to note this as occurring in the second sleep cycle. Predictive dreams are not always literal, 
So sometimes you need to spend more time in the symbolic and keywords and phrase and the keywords and phrases categories in order to figure out what scenarios your subconscious is practicing for. The emotions will also assist, but to a lesser degree than with releasing reinforcing dreams. I'm noticing a lot of dichotomy in this dream. Prison slash embassy, apathetic slash prim and proper, looking to exit slash stuck forever, maggots slash paradise, abundance but old and broken. Anywhere else in your current life that you are experiencing a lot of dichotomy, probably a very strong hint as to the source of the predictive dream. So she writes back, I hadn't thought of it as a predictive dream, but you're right. It might as well be. I dreamed it in June 2020, and in December 2020, my father died of COVID. So the dream might be precognitive in the sense that he led me to the place that turns out to be paradise. All the old items in the house might hint to all the old memories I have of him. I will have to think more about the dichotomy. Right now, my life is very boring and uneventful. But in my younger years, there was a lot of conflict and strife that might still be playing out in the subconscious as dreams. Thank you, Britt. I love thought quests like this. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that brings me back to the very beginning where she mentioned, you know, this is really interesting because it has elements of past, present, and future, actually. So it definitely could have been a predictive dream especially considering that that was like right in the beginning of covid moving on our next dream also predictive um, and this is another one from myrita who is um, really good at journaling her dreams this one is titled masked gravediggers and she writes sunny summer day there was a cemetery where four masked men worked as gravediggers. They lived in a cottage on the cemetery grounds, which also was where they rehearsed with the death metal band they'd founded. I had to stay with them for three days and get them to reveal themselves. They let me stay and allowed me to listen to their rehearsals and watch them digging the graves. But they didn't speak to me on the first day. I didn't feel ignored, more like feared or revered as they stole fleeting glances at me when I sat on the porch or under a tree. On the second day, one by one, the first three gravediggers found excuses to be alone with me, and we talked, their voices hoarse with disuse. Each of them removed his mask when I asked and let me give them a kiss. They were all pale and blonde in their early 20s and looked like brothers. However, the fourth man, the bassist, seemed to avoid me on purpose and evaded my attempts to meet him alone. In the morning of the third day, I went out on the porch and saw him walking among the trees and graves in the distance. I thought it a perfect opportunity to be alone with him and talk him into revealing his face to me. I went closer and a string of events happened that in the dream I thought of as lucky, like fate helping me. I stepped on a branch that snapped with a loud noise. 
startling the gravedigger who was carrying a box of pizza. And as he didn't watch where he was going for a moment, he tumbled down into a freshly dug grave. This startled me, and losing my focus for a moment, I ran to help him, missed a step, and fell in after him. The gravedigger didn't seem hurt. He'd just lie there, but his eyes seemed wide with fear through the slits in the plain white mask. And his breathing was ragged, like he wanted to scream, but couldn't. A thought did occur to me that this was an opportunity to pull his mask off and kiss him, but it seemed too intrusive, almost rapey, so I chased this thought away. As I landed half on top of the gravedigger, I got up first and shook the sand off my clothes. He gave me a step up out of the grave, then flung the crumpled pizza box, and then held my hand so I could pull him out. Again, a thought occurred of pulling his mask off while he was hanging in there, and again, I didn't do it. When he got out, he didn't let go of my hand, but pushed his mask up a little and kissed it. I was dumbstruck with the feeling that this is somehow majorly important, that it's enough to complete my quest, even though I didn't get to see his face. While I stood there lost in thought, he walked past the cottage and out through the cemetery gates. As a disembodied presence, I saw him go to one of the houses further down the road. A young, red-haired woman opened the door when he knocked. He handed her the battered pizza box. They laughed. Then he removed his mask and kissed her, and they went inside the house. I felt a deep sense of satisfaction, like everything was good and right in the world. For successfully completing the quest, I got an island, or more precisely, a hill that rose in its center. It was suddenly a cloudy afternoon in a freezing snowless winter, and I sailed an ice yacht over to the ice-covered river, over the ice-covered river, to get to my newest piece of real estate. The island looked like an eye with a hill in the middle of it. There were lights in the windows on the houses closest to the shore, but the red brick buildings built into the hillside were abandoned. I thought it's for the better, as there was a cave under the mountain which I planned to turn into a rehearsal room and finally play as loud as I want and expected it to have spectacular acoustics. Okay, so that's the end of that dream. And here Myrita writes about the dream that, again, this was the second dream cycle, um, so the second REM cycle of a nine-hour Saturday sleep-in. There was no clear indication of time frame in the dream, although it was clearly the present age, judging by the details. I felt slightly younger by approximately two years. The initial emotions were curiosity and calm satisfaction. I had a quest, but felt certain that everything would resolve without much effort. I had a peculiar feeling of peace not quite feeling, but more like exuding it. As it did, I felt my sense of happiness grow, although there were some moments of anxiety, temptation, and confusion. 
By the end of the dream, I felt accomplished but lonely. Like having really good news but no one to tell them to. I don't really remember what I felt upon waking. <clears throat> so this would be a another predictive dream um, falling into that, that middle of the sleep cycle, the second REM cycle. And the subtypes are past and present elements. So she's processing stuff about the future, but based off of past and present circumstances because our brains are like supercomputers and for predictive dreams our brains spend the first part of the night deciding what from the day is relevant and worth keeping to check against all of the information that we've stored in our brains since the day we were born and how does that information become useful our brain runs an analysis and comes up with likely scenarios and and often predictive dreams aren't always exactly literal, so we do have to kind of untangle some of the symbolic aspects as well as identifying what those literal aspects are in order to fully understand them. But again, you know, just because a dream is predictive doesn't mean you can't have elements from the past and present um, because, you know, your past and present plays into where you're going into the future. So let's see where this takes us. Is it a physiological or psychological dream? Definitely, again, psychological. Um, there's no indication that this was caused by food or medication or low blood sugar. No indications of that, um, especially based on, again, how intricate the storyline and um, details are in the dream. So the emotional arc of the dream, it begins with curiosity and calm satisfaction a peculiar feeling of peace moving into growing happiness mixed with moments of anxiety, temptation, and confusion, and ends with feeling accomplished but lonely. And um, a little bit of a, a deep satisfaction along with that. The literal aspects are that it's about herself and the recent past, so within two years, um, and the near future. Symbolic. Aspects are the gravediggers, death metal, a quest, the cottage, pizza, the graves, the island, the redheaded girl, the masks, etc. Keywords and phrases would be reveal themselves, let me stay, feared or revered, alone with me, removed his mask, avoid me on purpose, string of events, Fate helping me, startled, losing my focus, wide with fear, through the mask, intrusive, rapey, chased this thought away, step up, kissed it, majorly important, enough to complete my quest, deep sense of satisfaction, all is right in the world, successfully completing newest piece for the better finally play as loud as i want the conclusion that i came to after our, um, i discussed this stream with my rita was there's a lot of dichotomy in in this stream as well as the previous dream where she was stuck in the the paradise house um, it also falls into the predictive phase of dreaming 
it's interesting that it has your younger self set in the present or near future. That points towards something from that time in your life being applicable to the situation being played out. Anything from two years ago that matches up with the keywords, emotions, or symbology of this dream. Any scenarios in your life that you have mixed feelings about seems to be an underlying emotional theme in all of these dreams. Lots of hero's journey elements in all of your dreams as well. And she writes back notes for clarification. This dream is a bit easier to interpret and tie to the waking life events. Thank you for suggesting that it's about applying past experiences to future situations. That is indeed very true. It's basically about falling in love and flirting in both, both cases with shy and unsociable people. In the waking life, I did the same as in the dream. Hang around, exuding peace, demonstrating trustworthiness, and resisting the impulses of temptation. Eventually, they chose someone else and not me, but seeing them happy made me happy as well, albeit with that tinge of cold and loneliness as in the frozen island part of the dream. So what you say about dichotomy is proven true again. So there you have it. There are two predictive dreams by the same dreamer. You can kind of see how you might not necessarily need to break down dreams this extremely unless you really want to understand them. But when dreams are this emotionally affecting, it's kind of like events that happen in your waking life. If you have a waking life event that is very affecting to you, it's going to go into your memory and you're going to need to process it at some point. Dreams will help you do this. And predictive dreams are especially useful because it's showing you the type of things that are likely to happen to you again. And if you so choose, you can change that. You know, we don't have to always follow the same patterns that have been bestowed upon us by our childhoods or former life experiences. I really like predictive dreams and the value that they bring to us in emotional safety, physical safety. Um, a lot of times, predictive dreams will, you might hear stories of people's lives being saved by them because if somebody dreams that their spouse is going to kill them and they've been in a lot of, you know, had a lot of domestic violence, that might be a very literal interpretation of that relationship. And the subconscious mind be, might be like, hey, we have this whole pattern of behavior here. I know you're in love with this person, but this whole pattern of behavior is leading up to something dangerous happening. You know, they have a gun in the house. They are unstable and um, have been violent. And this is the direction that it's going. So, you know, that does happen for people sometimes where it can be more literal. But again, that's why it's so important to break down the different categories. What, what are those literal aspects? How are they important? What are the symbolic aspects and how do I understand what their literal meaning is? Um, what's the emotional arc? What kind of emotions am I feeling and where else does it relate to my life? So in this last dream, the emotions actually did really play a key role in telling her what the dream was about because she went through that same 
arc of emotions with the two other people that she had gone through relationships like that with and feeling the curiosity and the peculiar feeling of peace and a growing happiness mixed with those moments of anxiety and temptation and confusion. That's all, you know, the type of thing that you feel when you are interested in somebody and dating and then feeling happy for them. So she felt accomplished, but lonely and a deep sense of satisfaction. So again, really just paying attention to all of the different aspects and feeling out which ones are dominant because you know in any given dream the pie chart might look a little bit different in this one the dream the i'm sorry the emotional arc takes up a very large chunk of that that pie chart and the literal a smaller part of it and the symbolic a pretty small part of it as well um the keywords and phrases and the emotional arc were really predominant here. So I hope that gives you a little bit better understanding of predictive dreams, their role, and how to break them down. Again, they're, you know, not everybody learns in a listening format. So I try to put all of this information in as many different formats as possible. So for example, you can come on to the Human Dreaming Facebook page and you can post your dream there and if it's a very personal dream that you still want help with but you don't necessarily want to put out there publicly you are welcome to post it anonymously there is a little drop down button when you go to post that you can post your dream anonymously and nobody else in the group will be able to see who it was but you can still get help and feedback with that dream and you can read other people's dreams too and see how they break down. I myself post a lot of my own dreams in there frequently. And I haven't had a lot of predictive dreams recently, but I do, I do have them occasionally. Um, where else? Of course, the book, the Human Dreaming book, which you can purchase on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore, anywhere that you can get books, you can find my book or order my book. And there is an entire section in the back of the book that breaks down all different types of dreams. Um, and so if you're a visual person, that's a really great way to learn. If you learn through reading the Facebook group, excellent. The book, excellent. And I will most likely be starting a, a TikTok or some other type of visual short form learning platform here soon. So I'm still working through ideas on that one. But if anybody has any suggestions, please feel free to send them my way. Just to wrap up the episode, I did have a client the other day who had a predictive dream in, you know, middle of the night, um, you know, second REM cycle, we looked at it on her Fitbit. And what we discovered was that yes it was a predictive dream but it also was a physiologically based dream she had had some high oxygen variability during the time that she had the dream and so basically there was some sort of obstruction whether she was you know just profoundly snoring or having sleep apnea um, i'm not sure but being able to see well first of all that all of the signs pointed to it being a physiological dream it was you know one single occurrence um it was 
extra scary and terrifying. So in physiological dreams, the emotions tend to be like over the top intensified, sometimes to the point of like sobbing, you know, just uncontrollably powerful emotions. And that's because oftentimes physiological dreams are your body being in a state of fight flight. So if she's not breathing properly and not getting enough oxygen, the physical body begins to panic and it will send signals to the brain saying, hey, something's wrong. And so oftentimes you'll end up with these these nightmares. But so she had a horrible dream about not being able to save her sister and things just going horribly wrong, but there wasn't really any storyline to it. It was just kind of the same scenario on a loop, on repeat, no real clear beginning, middle, end. And um, again, that's very clearly pointing towards physiological. And then that was backed up by looking at her Fitbit and being able to confirm that, yes, indeed, you had this huge spike in oxygen variability. It was the only spike in the middle of the night, right where you had that, right when you woke up from the stream and were just in a panic. That doesn't mean that anything's going to happen to her sister. So I want to be really clear about predictive. It's like, you know, you're taking all of this information and yes, predictive dreams tend to fit into that. But again, being a guideline, it's not saying your brain's not necessarily telling you, hey, your sister is going to die or have all of these problems. You're not going to save her. That is more of, you know, happening during the predictive cycle, your body having an issue. So I do want to be clear that the each category really just kind of helps paint an overall picture. So in that case, the fact that it was a predictive dream was really took up pretty much no space on the informational pie chart. But just to give you an idea of different kinds of predictive dreams and how that information may or may not be useful, depending on the other aspects of the dream, you know, physiological dream doesn't really matter what the type and subtype is because you know once you get to that there isn't really any psychological information that's valuable it's more about how do I keep my airways from being unobstructed or how do I stop myself from having blood sugar drops in the middle of the night Um, how do I get through this medication that I have to take that's giving me you know horrible nightmares in the middle of the night so As always, keeping all of these different aspects in mind, and I'm always here to help. Lots of different ways to reach me. If you have any questions, again, submit them to the Human Dreaming Facebook group. You can email me at brit at britshefflin.com, or you can DM me on Instagram at human underscore dreaming. And speaking of Instagram, I will be adding a lot more information to um, Instagram as far as breaking down historical dreams, breaking down real dreams, and trying to just really get more information out there, um, as well as letting you know when there are new podcast episodes available. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you were able to learn a little something today, and feel free to drop me a line anytime. Happy dreaming! We are supported by Human Dreaming, The Dynamics of Dream Interpretation, by Sunshine Press.